The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Well, I, I will confess to you that there have been moments in my life where I am not particularly proud. Matter of fact, there are times where there are whole seasons of my life that I look back on now that I'm not proud of who I am or how I behaved in that season. And one of them, probably the one that sticks out to me the most, in all honesty, um, is my senior year in college. So I went to Abilene Christian University. Um, I majored in Bible there. And for everyone who majors in Bible, between your junior year and your senior year, that summer, you have to do an internship. Now, I had done internships. I'd worked with churches and nonprofits the summers before then, but this is the one that actually counted, like that you got a grade for, that was um, formal, all of that. So me and all of my friends who are also Bible majors had to go out to different churches around the country and find jobs for the summer. And so me and one of my best friends, Jeff, ended up working together, interning together at a church in San Antonio, which was absolutely amazing because this was a small church and all the adults on staff, for whatever reason, decided to leave for the whole summer. So it was just me and Jeff. Like, I had so much fun. I turned 21 that summer. I had so much fun. But our, our other friend, one of our other friends, his name is also Sean, and he went to work for a church in Boulder, Colorado. So he won in terms of weather and location, but he didn't have as much fun. And so this was back in the day when I was in school that when you went away for the summer, when everybody went away for the summer, there was really few ways to contact people. Like you could actually pick up a landline phone and call someone. And like those conversations were always like hours long because there wasn't texting, there wasn't cell phones. Like if you wanted to talk some, to somebody, like you had to have time to talk to somebody because you had a bunch of catchy, do y'all remember landline phones? <laughs> Either that or you wrote a letter. Do you remember letters? So what's one of the odd things about it is like, I think that's actually the summer that my wife and I fell in love because she uh, was in one part of, the, of Texas, I was in another, and we just wrote letters. And we were just friends at the time. We wrote letters back and forth. But the thing was, if you were away from somebody for the summer, you didn't know what they were doing. That's why when you came back to school in the fall, people would ask the question, what did you do this summer? Because like we didn't know, like we, you didn't Instagram every meal, like somebody because like, I know exactly what you ate on June 17th because you put it on Instagram. So it's toward the end of the summer and our friend Sean calls us in San Antonio and he tells us that he is engaged and like our jobs hit, our jaws like hit the floor because this was going to ruin our senior year. <laughs> like we had plans, like we all lived together in these two houses, we had signed leases, and not only was he engaged, like he had signed a lease for the whole year, but they were gonna get engaged in January, and we were like, who do you think is paying for this? Like you still owe us money for the rest of the year? And we didn't know this girl. I mean, they knew each other because they had gone out on a date or two, and then she left the second semester 
of her freshman year to do study abroad. And now they were getting engaged. And he told us, like, that's what happened to them. They were writing letters like this whole time. And that's when they really got to know each other. And we were thinking to ourselves, we don't like this girl. (laughs) And what, because like for us, she gave a very sort of like ring by spring kind of vibe. And you don't, if you didn't go to a Christian school, you probably don't know about ring by spring, but it is exactly what it sounds like. And we had all of these ideas about what our lives were gonna be. Like, it was like six of us all together. And we were in a prayer group. We had ideas about going to a city center like New York or San Francisco and all starting a church together and working together. We had this great boys club kind of outlook on life. Like this very eight-year-old, like no girls allowed sort of a thing. And she came in and like blew up the whole thing. And it turns out that she was exactly what he wanted. And when we got back to school in the fall, we learned so much about him that we didn't actually know. Like, like there was something in her that brought out, that produced something in him. And it wasn't that he hid it from us. We just didn't see it. Like he had a vision for his life that either he communicated to us and we didn't pick up on, or he never communicated to us, or he communicated to us and we just rejected. And as we were horrible to her for the next decade, (laughs) it dawned on me that it really is possible to know someone without knowing them and to see someone without seeing them. And that's important to remember because this is core to the story of Genesis and the story of Joseph. So if you've been around Ecclesia for the last six weeks or so, we've been walking through the story of Joseph together. And at the beginning, we meet Joseph, and he's 17 years old, and he's his father's favorite. His father gives him this ornamented robe And Joseph has a dream. He has a dream that all of his brothers one day will bow down to him. And they don't like that idea at all. And then he has another dream that not only his brothers, but his brothers and his parents will bow down to him. And he's foolish enough at that point in life, because he's 17, to tell everybody. And they say, this is never going to happen. And when you're in the middle of this story, You don't know what you don't know. Like God has not stepped into the story at all. Nowhere does Genesis tell us that God sent these dreams to Joseph, that he had a vision that the Lord sent. He's just a kid bragging to his older brothers about how he's gonna be great and they're gonna bow down to him. So they decide, you know what? We're already getting the short end of staff. Dad loves him more than he loves us. What we ought to do is we should kill him. And that's what they decide to do until one of the brothers says, let's not kill him. Slow down, let's just sell him into slavery. And that's what they do. He is sold into Egyptian slavery and he finds himself working for an Egyptian official named Potiphar. And Potiphar notices something about Joseph, that he's got incredible administrative skills. And in time, he becomes second in command of Potiphar's house, actually a very sizable organization. And he's running everything until Potiphar's wife accuses Jacob of trying to 
harass her and he's thrown in jail. But it's not just any jail. It's like a gentleman's prison. It's the king's jail. And soon he becomes in charge of the other prisoners in jail. And there are two other prisoners. They have dreams. One's the baker and one's the cupbearer. And he tells the cupbearer, hey, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be restored. I saw it in the dream that you shared with me. You're going to be back in your place. But do me a favor. When you are restored, remember me. And the cupbearer goes off and promptly forgets about Joseph. And after two years, Pharaoh has a dream. And that's when the cupbearer remembers, oh yeah, there's this guy in prison who's really good at dream interpretation and might as well go ahead and take a chance on him because all of the guys that you have interpreting your dreams, like they're not coming up with anything either. And so Pharaoh has Joseph brought to him and he interprets the dream and says, look, we're gonna have some really good years. But after those years, after all of those years of harvest, there's gonna be a drought. So the thing to do is to store up now, knowing that the drought is coming. So Joseph rises again. Pharaoh makes him second in command of all of Egypt and his chief job is to manage the resources for when the drought comes. And in that time, Joseph goes native. Potiphar gives him an Egyptian wife and an Egyptian name. He wears Egyptian clothing. He carries Potiphar's signet ring, the seal of his authority. And he manages this huge project because this famine that's coming, it's not gonna be one of these little localized famines that only affects the people living in Egypt. This is gonna affect most of the world. And turns out it does. And then we pick up Joseph's story in Genesis 42. Now, when Jacob, this is Joseph's father, still alive, 20 years later, when Jacob found out there was grain to be had in Egypt, he talked to his sons about it. Why do you just keep sitting here looking at each other? Listen, I've heard they have grain for sale in Egypt. Go down there and buy grain for us so that we have enough to live and won't die of hunger. Now I want you to get under the skin of what's happening here. Jacob is not just the head of one family with his sons. Like he is kind of the major domo of this entire Canaanite region. Like he's in charge. He's got to take care of his family and everybody else. And he looks at his sons and says, like, why are you sitting around? Literally the connotation in Hebrew is like, why aren't you doing anything? And this is the very opposite of what's happening down in Egypt with Joseph, that Joseph has been doing something, preparing for this the whole time. And these other brothers, well, they're, they're just kind of hanging out. They're not doing anything. And Jacob says, go down to Egypt because they have enough. They have managed this well enough. Not only do they have enough for their people, they've got enough to sell. Picking up in verse three. So then, so 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob didn't send Joseph's brother Benjamin with the others because he was afraid something might happen to him. 
So the sons of Israel decided to go down and buy grain along with many others because the famine had reached the land of Canaan. And this is one of those points in the story where the shoe drops. Because Genesis is doing something very shifty and sly and nuanced. So when we get to verse 3, these 10, they aren't Jacob's sons anymore. They're Joseph's brothers. And the Bible wants you and the Bible wants me to know that these are Joseph's brothers. And they may not have liked him They may have tried to get rid of him, but it doesn't change the fundamental way that they were made, that they're brothers. And brothers, brothers owe something to one another. I have an older brother who's three years older than me, and I have a younger half-sister who is 20 years younger than me. And when they call, when they need, I'm their brother. The story is no longer about Jacob. It's a story of brothers. It goes on, since Joseph was in charge of Egypt, he was the one responsible for selling the grain to the people who came from the various lands. When it was their turn, Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the ground. And now it all makes sense. Like those dreams that he had had 20 years ago, like this is the fulfillment of those dreams. And we're, we're hurt sometimes because so many of us know the story so well. We know what's going to happen that when we start reading it and we're back when Joseph is 17 and has these dreams, we think, oh man, God sent these dreams. But Genesis actually doesn't tell us that. And we don't know if you didn't know what happens in the end. You don't know at the beginning that this isn't just some arrogant 17-year-old with delusions of grandeur. Genesis has left this thread for us to follow. And now... Those dreams have come true. Picks up in verse 7. The moment Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, though nearly 20 years had passed since last he saw them. But he treated them like strangers and spoke gruffly to them. Where do you come from? We come from the land of Canaan to buy food. Although Joseph recognized them, they did not recognize him. He then remembered the dreams he had as a young man regarding his brothers. Now, this is a strange story because for those of us who have siblings, like oftentimes, we go years without seeing them, especially some of us coming out of COVID. I spent sometime in December last year with my brother. I hadn't seen him in two years. 
I, I was 20 years old. I was in college when my half-sister was born. We've never really spent any time together, but I recognize her, I mean, mostly because she looks like my dad, which no girl ever wants to hear, by the way. Like, that's not a compliment. Like, you look so much like your father. No, save it. He recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. And to understand this story and what it might mean for you, you have to understand more than this story. Because Genesis has been telling this story for a long time. Genesis is telling us a story of people in disguise. It starts actually with Joseph's father, Jacob. Those of you who know the Bible well, you remember that Jacob was a twin. He was the younger of the twins and he was a grasper. His brother Esau was born before him. And in, those, in that day, because of primogeniture, if you were the firstborn, like you got most of everything when the father died and you got the blessing of the father. But Jacob wants the blessing himself. He doesn't want his brother Esau to have it. And Jacob is loved by his mother. And so they come up with a plan. They said, well, what we want you to do is you're going to disguise yourself as your brother. Your father, Isaac, is old and blind so go and smell like your brother, put hair on your arms like your brother, and you go to him and you get his blessing because he won't be able to tell the difference. And that's exactly what Jacob does. And when he comes to Isaac, Isaac says to him, you, you don't sound like Esau. And so, oh yeah, yeah, I am. Just like feel my arm. And he gives him the blessing. But that doesn't turn out all that well. Because Jacob then has to flee. He goes to his mom and he says, what am I going to do now? And he says, why don't you go to our cousin Laban's house and you live with him because your brother Esau is going to kill you if you don't. So Jacob flees. He finds himself at Laban's and immediately falls in love with one of Laban's daughters, Rachel. He says, I'll make you a deal. I'll work for seven years if you let me marry Rachel. And Laban says, done. And he works for seven years and it comes time for the wedding feast. And the weddings then were a party mostly and consummated at night. And so Jacob goes into the marriage tent and finds his bride veiled. They consummate the wedding. He wakes up in the morning, rolls over and it's not Rachel, it's Leah. He's married a bride in disguise. And he goes to Laban, says, man, we, we, had, a, we had a deal. And Laban says, hold on. I don't know about where you come from, but here we don't put the younger before the older. So let's make another deal. Work another seven years and you can marry Rachel. 
He marries Rachel and works another seven years. And then we meet right in the middle of Joseph's story, a man named Judah. And Judah leaves home and he goes off to a foreign land and he marries a foreign woman and has three sons. And the oldest of their sons marries a woman named Tamar. And Tamar is a foreign woman. And very early in their marriage, he dies. And this is in the days of leveret marriage, which basically meant like if your husband died and you did not have an heir, if you didn't have a son, then the next son in line was required to give you an heir so that you would have someone to care for you and the family. And the next son in line is a man named Onan. But Onan doesn't want to give Tamar a child. And so he uses Tamar, but doesn't deliver for Tamar. And God sees that as wicked and kills him. Well, Judah has one last son. Tamar says, you know what the deal is. Like I get the next son in line because I'm going to have an heir. I'm going to have a child. And Judah says, you know what? Um, He's a little young. But when the time comes, I will give you my son. Plus, Judah is thinking, I'm not really all that fired up about giving my third son to this black widow. And so time goes on. Third son grows up and Tamar is still around and Judah refuses to give his last son. And in that same amount of time, Judah's wife dies And he goes off to sell sheep. He goes on a business trip. And as he's returning, he stops by the temple. And there in the temple is a veiled temple prostitute. And so he goes to the temple prostitute to do what you do when you go to a prostitute. And it gets to the end. And he goes, I don't have any cash. Like, do you take like Venmo or PayPal? Like, I don't know how we're going to do all this. And he has, I got an idea. Until I can pay you, take my seal and my staff, basically forms of identification. Judah goes home. The next day, he sends an emissary with payment for the temple prostitute and starts asking around town, where's the temple prostitute? And townspeople say, there's no temple prostitute here. And so he kind of gives up on the whole thing. He doesn't work too hard to figure it all out. But in just a few months, he gets word that his daughter-in-law, Tamar, is pregnant. And he knows his first son died, his second son died, and he hasn't given her his third son. And he decides, I'm going to follow the law. And she's pregnant and it's not to someone she's not married to. We should have her killed. And so he sends folks to go round her up to go kill her. And they arrive, and Tamar looks at them and says, I get all that. Like, that's, that's the rules. But the father of this child, these two things belong to him. When Judah hears a story, 
He says, she is more righteous than I. And he welcomes her into his family where she remains until her death. And then you get Joseph and Joseph's brothers. They do not recognize him because now he is in Egyptian clothes with an Egyptian name, with an Egyptian wife, and they thought he was dead. Four stories of people in disguise and four stories of failures to see beyond the mask. And here's what's fascinating about Joseph. When they decide early in the story that they're going to kill Joseph, then later just sell him into slavery, Genesis tells us that they saw him in his ornamented robe at a distance, and they recognized him. And now they see him in ornamented clothes up close, and they don't recognize him. You can know someone without knowing them, and you can see someone without seeing them. And one of the first things that Genesis wants us to know as it ties together the dangling threads of these four stories is that we use masks to get what we want. And it doesn't matter who you are, what you tell yourself about yourself, that somewhere along the line in your story, you have decided to get this thing that I want, I am going to pretend to be someone or something else. That that may be the only way, and some of those stories are righteous, and some of them are unrighteous, but every one of us has walked up to someone and been someone different than who we actually were because we felt like we intuited, and maybe we were even right about it, that we had to be someone else to get what was coming to us or what we wanted. And all of those stories, except for Jacob and Esau, is about someone in search of the thing that is owed to them. But we live in a time and a place, and it's always been this way, that to get the thing that we want, we often choose to be different than we are. And what Genesis wants us to remember is that we are not the mask that we wear. Because in reality, wearing a mask to get what you want works, but only for a little while. Jacob wants Esau's blessing and he steals it, but it cost him his relationship with his father, his mother, and his brother. Leah wants a husband and Laban wants to offload this older daughter 
and it creates heartache for Leah that she feels for the rest of her life. Tamar wants a son and a family. And she gets it, but never love. Jacob. Jacob wants a restored relationship. Joseph wants a restored relationship. And they have to wear a mask to get it. But we are not the mask that we wear. Because healing only happens after the mask come off. And Mike will talk about this a little bit next week. But there is no human on the face of the earth. There is no real person who can love a fake you. That if you actually want healing, if you want restoration, that you and I are going to have to show up who we are as we are in all of our relationships. That there is a reveal in each one of these stories that the mask isn't who we are, but we can't keep on living inside the mask. This is a fabulous piece of wisdom from the life of Joseph about how we see ourselves and how we treat the world around us, the people in our circle. Are we the reason that they wear a mask? Have we behaved in a certain way that, that fields off, that closes off, that forecloses the opportunity and the option for people to be their real selves with us? Are we withholding unless someone behaves and does what we really wish they think and would behave? And this is what Genesis says two times in three verses. The moment Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them though nearly 20 years had passed since he last saw them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke gruffly to them. And these two words, recognized, recognize his brothers and strangers, and they share the same Hebrew root, recognizes vayakarim, and stranger, Vayat Makur. And here's what you need to know, Ecclesia. The difference between whether you treat someone as a brother or a stranger is not that far apart. And when we get to this point of Joseph's story, what Genesis wants you to know about Joseph, what Genesis wants you to know about you, is all of these people, they're your brothers. And for them to be your brothers, for them to be your sisters, requires one thing, for you to actually 
see them. And we see up close, not at a distance. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.